Welcome to the Nature Matters podcast. I'm Christopher McAteer, campaigner with the RSPB and member of Nature Matters NI, a joint campaign of environmental groups in Northern Ireland, working on the best Brexit outcomes for nature. In this series, we'll be exploring some of the amazing natural heritage in Northern Ireland, speaking to the people working to protect it and immersing ourselves in breathtaking landscapes. We'll also be talking about the risks and opportunities that Brexit has created for our environment and how we can all get involved in shaping a better future for nature. Today I'm driving to one of my favourite nature reserves in Northern Ireland, Port Morlock. It's not far from Belfast, only about 20 miles or so to the west, but as I get closer it already feels like I'm well away from the busy life of Northern Ireland's capital. It looks like this could be a lot of places in Northern Ireland, but then you catch a brief glimpse of a much better known and much, much bigger body of water, Loch Ness, which is the largest freshwater lake in the UK and Ireland, and it's only less than a mile from Portmore. I'm meeting with some of the RSPB conservation staff at Portmore Loch to learn about the reserve and the conservation work they're carrying out there. I'll also be talking to RSPB policy staff about how Brexit is affecting places like Portmore some of the risks and opportunities that such a major political change will pose for protected sites in Northern Ireland. Portmore Lock is a low-lying wet grassland reserve managed by the RSPB as a key recovery area for lapwing and other breeding waders in Northern Ireland. The lock covers an area of 286 hectares of freshwater, fen and pasture. The near-perfect circle of open water spills out onto reed bed and scrubby fen before flooding out onto a broad swathe of boggy, wet grassland, cut through by a series of sluices and drainage channels that control water levels around the loch. It's a quiet and peaceful reserve that offers incredible access to nature all year round. From the songs of skylarks in spring and the bright flashes of butterflies and dragonflies in summer, to a mass of wildfowl, ducks and coots in the autumn, and a majestic arrival of hooper swans in October, which can be seen throughout the winter months, as well as large flocks of geese, lapwings and golden plovers. Portmore is an important site for nature in Northern Ireland, designated under a number of international, EU and local protections that ensure the perfect opportunities for survival of wintering wildfowl, terrestrial invertebrates, common terns and breeding waders. It also provides an ideal home for Irish ladies' tresses orchids and a wide range of plants and other birds. I met Reserve Manager Donald Black on the main viewing platform that offers panoramic views over Portmore and the surrounding landscape. The RSPB has been involved with Portmore Loch since the early 90s. We became involved with Portmore Loch because Portmore Loch was designated in the 90s as an as a area of special scientific interest in ASSI and it was also part of the Loch Ness Special Protected Area. And the management of that land before the RSPB got it um, was just grazing livestock. And as time went past, the land became less suitable and the owners felt that they weren't getting much from the land. So they felt that with the designations and all coming up, that they'd be better to sell the land. And at that time, the RSPB were very aware of the breeding wader survey that was done in the 1980s showing that um, there was 
good numbers of breeding waders in Northern Ireland on wetlands. And by the late 90s, 1999, they realised the breeding waders were in trouble in Northern Ireland. So with this dramatic change and high, high, heightened priority for breeding waders such as curly, lapwings, snipe and redshank, the RSPB realised that they should use Portmore Loch to try and bring back breeding waders. Um, so we have 102 pairs of common tern that nest on artificial nesting rafts on the loch. I caught up with Laura Smith, the warden at Portmore, to learn a little bit more about the species they're working to protect the reserve. Um, they nest along with black-headed gull as well, um, but so they're amber and red-listed species of conservation concern. Our priority was mainly the waders and also the common terns because of the SPA designation. Lapwing, snipe, redshank, and we'd love to have breeding curly, but they're extremely scarce across the country anyway. The breeding wading birds, they've suffered huge declines across the countryside, across UK and, and Ireland. Lapwing, redshank and curly were all red listed species of conservation concern. They're like a top priority for us. Just one thing on its own doesn't work. If you, the science is behind it and then to get the habitat management right, getting the right livestock on, that's been supported then by predator fencing to keep the badgers out of that particular area so they don't snaffle up birds' eggs. And those like, three things have all come together to make the habitat really attractive as the lapwings and the redshank and snipe feel safe breeding in that area as well as a whole host of other ground nesting birds such as skylarks and meadow pipit. The important work carried out by Laura, Donald and the team of volunteers at Portmore is only made possible because of the legislation and agreements that make the area a protected site. As Donald mentioned earlier, Portmore has numerous designations, each of which protects a different aspect of the reserve and all of which are needed to ensure that nature can thrive in a wider Loch Ness landscape. So there's um, EU legislation, so the main piece of EU legislation is the Birds and Habitats Directive, but that's then written into national legislation, and in Northern Ireland... Emily Hunter, policy officer with the RSPB, explaining a bit more about the legislation that protects sites in Northern Ireland. And there's other pieces of Northern Irish legislation. Um, yes, I suppose all the separate pieces of legislation can be quite technical and can be quite confusing. Um, but what it essentially means is that some of our sort of finest sites for nature in Northern Ireland and some of our most beautiful sites, like the Giant's Causeway or Upper and Lower Loch Anne and, and Portmore Loch, are protected so that... Um, future generations can enjoy them so that we protect the species that Northern Ireland is home to and um, maintain the habitats that we, we have here. Some of this legislation derives from European Union laws and directives that aim to align environmental protections across the EU. This is important because nature doesn't respect borders and we need to ensure that the good work being done in one member state isn't being undone by poor habitat management in another. But with the UK due to exit the EU in March 2019, the future of the laws and directives protecting nature are now at risk. So why are environmentalists so worried about Brexit at the moment? Um, well, the main reason would be that most of our environmental legislation comes from the EU origin initially. So the EU sets certain standards that all EU member states have to comply with. Protected sites in particular is the, the Birds and Habitats Directive, which set requirements for our protected sites. Um, and obviously, once we leave the EU, we don't know what's going to happen to that legislation. The, the UK government has said that they will bring all EU legislation over into to national legislation. 
but there's there's certain risks that come with that so there's the risk that it could be weakened during the, the transition there's also the risk that in the future future governments may decide to weaken that legislation so that's one of the, the main reasons why we're worried about Brexit. But then also, in terms of the EU protected sites, even if we maintain the legislation as it is, because they're part of this network of protected sites across the EU, just because we leave the EU doesn't mean that those sites aren't still going to be important for migratory birds that, that live elsewhere in the EU. So, for example, the Loch Ness SPA is designated for the Hooper Swan, which spends winter in... Another major area of concern for environmentalists is what is often called the governance gap, which refers to the loss of strong institutions to uphold environmental laws post-Brexit. Even if the government transfers all of the EU environmental legislation into the UK statute books, arguably none of it will be worth the paper it's written on without strong independent bodies to hold the government and devolved legislatures to account. Currently, several EU institutions, including the European Commission and European Court of Justice, largely fill this role. Outside the EU, we will need our own oversight bodies to ensure that our environmental laws are implemented in full. UK Environment Secretary Michael Gove has promised to address this governance gap by creating a strong, independent watchdog for the environment. This, he claims, will be a major part of delivering what he has called a green Brexit. We're leaving. We're taking back control. We're going to make a success of life outside the European Union. And leaving the European Union gives us the chance to secure a special prize, a green Brexit. Let's come to your own department now. You have announced a new body to oversee environmental protection yes. after we leave the EU. As well as Parliament, and it will play an even more important role mm -hmm. once we've left, it's also the case that our judiciary will play an even more important role through judicial review. But that's not enough. We do need to go further. And we do need to recognise that there are institutions at arm's length from government, properly independent, that can play a role in making sure that uh, citizens get the justice they deserve, and in particular, the environment gets the protection it deserves. But proposals set out in a recent consultation suggest a watchdog seriously lacking in teeth. A lot of environmentalists have been pleasantly surprised by um, Michael Gove, and um, certainly we would love to see a green Brexit. Um, but we have to be careful that um, we don't just use the term green, green Brexit um, and not have a green Brexit in, in, in reality. So with Brexit, laws might get changed, they may not be enforced. What are the actual real-term risks to sites like Portmore Lock? Um, well, I suppose, as I said, um, laws might get weakened or changed. So the, the legislation that protects sites like Portmore could be weakened or, or even removed, I suppose, in a worst-case scenario. And that would obviously have an impact then on what activities could be done at the site. For Portmore, because a large part of it is owned and managed by the RSPB, I'd like to, to think it would, would stay protected. But of course, the other issue would be the species, especially the birds that, that make Portmore lock their home, are not confined to that site. And if legislation protecting the environment is weakened throughout Northern Ireland, then um, it could be that you see a decline in those species throughout Northern Ireland, and then you'd see a decline in them in Portmore lock as well. Hyde's about 20 years old. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> I think it's our only sort of get viewing structure on the edge of the lock. Um, I, think it was I walked with Laura down a well-kept gravel path that runs through the boggy wet grassland and fen toward the reserve's hide. A simple but sturdy structure built on stilts into the marshy reed beds of the water's edge. And when the common turns, the, well, the back of the gulls are already here, but the common turns will arrive this month. They 
are often back and forth to Loch Ney for, for fish rather than just feeding in, in Port Morlock. So they're bringing, flying back and forth over this little narrow bit of land. They don't have good, far to go for good feeding grounds here. What are some of the different birds we can see from there? There aren't too many around right now. Uh, some kind of, are they moorhens? Yeah, so, so you, you can hear moorhen and coot both at the moment. Um, this coot just out, out in front here. Coot do nest on the lock. We also have so some, that was a wee band of white on its forehead. Yeah, they have a little like a white face shield that sort of goes up the front of them and then moorhen with the, the red bill. And further out we can see there are tufted duck, which is the black and white one, and also potchard as well. Is bobbed down now, but um, the red head and the grey body, and they can be quite difficult to monitor because you can see it's the lock the mile across, and a lot of stuff just clears off into the reed bed in the breeding season. Great crested grebe out to the right hand side. Um, they'd be known for their sort of spring courtship display. They do the synchronised dance and offer each other pondweed. It's quite, hmm. they're a very elegant bird. Um, and again, they're quite secretive when they're breeding, but whenever they have the young out, they're like little humbug, little strappy babies that are going around with them. From the Hyde, the log stretches out for a mile under a huge sky, right across to the eastern shore. While there were relatively few birds around when I visited, the variety of species in Portmore is clear from an information board in the Hyde, detailing the dozens of birds that can be seen there, some of which should be hard-pressed to find elsewhere in Northern Ireland. This variety speaks volumes to the successes that can be achieved in a site like Portmore out there and on Portmore as well, um, getting the numbers up uh, there to over 100 pairs of common turns, using the raft and you know supporting something like 40% of the Loch Ney target, you know, on our little Portmore Loch. And the messages that that gives out to people like the Northern Ireland Environment Agency and the messages that should be given out to local landowners and statutory bodies, the Department of Agriculture and so on, that, you know, if you do apply yourself and you do put these things into practice, that you know they are worth doing, and you will get there. Um, nature will respond, and you know what? Uh, the world will still keep going around as well. You know, it's not though. It's not the end of the world. Investing into looking after the environment. It's a very important thing. A green Brexit could be um, could be achieved. I mean, certainly we would say one of the opportunities is for the UK to really become a standard bearer for the environment. We could have the best protection for the environment in the world and, and set a standard not just for the EU, but for the whole world of the world in terms of environmental protection and demonstrate how having strong rules to protect your environment can support economic growth, can support the health and well-being of people and ultimately lead to happier, healthier, richer population. Um, but it needs political will. It needs somebody with the kind of vision to make that happen. And is there anything that people who are concerned, individuals who are concerned about the environment, the direction things are going with Brexit, what can people actually do? People in Northern Ireland do still have elected representatives and they are still there, they're, they're maybe not sitting in Parliament, but you can contact them and make it clear that the environment is important for you because ultimately the, the governments of all four countries of the UK are only going to make the environment a priority if they know that it's what people want them to do. The work that Donal, Laura and volunteers are carrying out at Portmore is only possible when we have the right environmental legislation and protections working alongside their skill and dedication. Having met with Donal and Laura today, it's pretty obvious to me that skill and dedication isn't going to change anytime soon, 
but the legislation and protections backing up their work is at risk of changing. People like Emily are working tirelessly to advocate for stronger laws and meaningful oversight for the environment. But we need your help too, because without clear public support, there'll be little incentive for our governments to act. Follow the Nature Matters NI campaign online to see how you can get involved in shaping a better future for nature in Northern Ireland. We're on Twitter at Nature Matters NI, and you can find a link to our website in the podcast description. Next time, we'll be learning about how Brexit is affecting ancient woodlands in Northern Ireland. I'll meet with staff from the Woodland Trust and explore Drumpton Wood just outside Mahara, learning about the history of the wood and the cultural importance of forests and our stories and myths. Nature Matters. Subscribe and follow us.